welcome to Oya's podcast. Today, I sit down with Ben Yambarshi. Ben is a permaculturalist. Permaculture, for those of you who don't know, is basically a system of design and ethics uh, for when you are building on land. It includes how and where you plant crops, um, how you build your building, where you locate it, how you use energy. The basic most fundamental aspect of it is to create closed loop systems to conserve and recycle energy as much as possible. This takes on many forms and permaculture is a broad umbrella term for many different activities that can happen on land. So we get into it with Ben today. We talk about the history of permaculture. We talk about agriculture and how it has gone wrong and why permaculture is superior in multiple ways as a design ethic. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Ben. Thanks so much. I appreciate you coming here with a button-up shirt, because I know that's not what you normally wear. I just got off the farm. I'm full of dirt, but I had to put something decent on uh, for this interview. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Long story short, my name is Benyam Barshi. Uh, My mom's French-Canadian and my dad's Israeli. They decided to raise me in the beautiful north coast of Dominican Republic. So uh, I was born here, which makes me technically Dominican, um, definitely Dominican, um, at least from a farmer's perspective, because for the past 10 years, I've been growing um, many different types of organic crops, including cacao, moringa, and I've started a company uh, together with my family called Moringaya. And uh, <clears throat> on Instagram, I have a persona called the Plant Man DR. And uh, over there, I present a botanical collection. And uh, every time I discover a new plant, a new fruit that I think the whole world should know about, I uh, present it on that medium as well. When did you start your farm? My family farm started about four years ago, but I've been into permaculture for the past 10 years. And uh, it's basically a regenerative agriculture design science based on observing nature. So earth care, people care, and fair share are the main uh, staples of permaculture ethics. Is that because uh, they rhyme? It does. It's an easy way to remember that, (laughs) you know, earth care, people care, fair share. But it can be interpreted in a million different ways. Um, But the point is to observe nature, the patterns that happen in nature, and work within those patterns instead of imposing some sort of dominion over nature and uh, at all costs. All right. So... I, I mean, I would say I like I agree with you, but then what's what's wrong with with the way we do things now? What's wrong with modern agriculture? So, uh, the world these days is designed to be disposable. Everything about our culture is disposable. Uh, the the culture itself, you could say, is disposable, and um, it's having an effect on nature. And in order to create a more permanent symbiosis uh, with the surrounding environment that keeps us alive. Um, I think it's time that we pay a little more attention to uh, the types of effects that our actions have on the world around us and what kind of world we want to see in the future and 
what kind of world we want to live in because we inherited this place, you know, happy and healthy. But, you know, things can quickly become very bad, you know, like food shortages, water shortages, uh, not to mention all the political turmoil that's not helping things. So, you know, it's a, it's a great philosophy to have that you can solve the world's problems in a garden, in your garden, and then you're getting back to the source, at least being in control of what you eat and uh, at least knowing that, uh, you know, whatever's keeping you alive is wholesome. Right. So I would say let's, let's talk about what's wrong with current agriculture. Um, the way I've always kind of pinpointed it was to, uh, there's this German chemist, uh, Franz Haber, and he's known for the Haber-Bosch process. But Bosch, you know, Bosch is a, was a company that took it on and started it. But Haber was the one who invented it. But Bosch is that those uh, chainsaw company? They're, they're like a chemical company. They're kind of like, uh, they do different technologies. I think they're kind of akin to like a, a mix between companies the petrochemical companies the plastic companies right they they're more like a plastics company exactly yeah, yeah yeah but but franz haber was the one who he got the nobel prize in chem in chemistry what in like 1918 for this for this process right for starting the green revolution so to say well the agriculture i mean for, for putting the agricultural revolution on steroids bringing it back industrializing agriculture if we, we put it that way well right. what what they did was use um you know world war ii chemicals that were in surplus and brought it into agriculture and created what they called a green revolution which would use deadly chemicals that were sprayed to uh you know destroy entire villages and every green thing in sight and you know use more selectively um, as selective herbicides. And um, what they were able to do was create this condition where soil around the world is getting depleted uh, because the ground is simply there to hold all the chemicals and they're uh, genetically modifying seeds to be able to survive in that particular condition. And if there's not a steady stream of deadly toxins feeding into the plant, then the plant won't even grow properly. And uh, I know that in India, this has caused a bunch of farmers to even uh, commit suicide. And there's a whole movement down there to try to get back to the ancient way of farming, uh, which held up pretty good, man. You know, yeah. humans survived on agriculture since uh, culture even began. So, um, yeah. All of agriculture used to be organic. It only became industrialized, um, you know, after Second World War, when even technology itself advanced so quickly. I mean, even in our lifetimes, we've seen technology just jump forward. And we see where this can possibly take us to, uh, you know, what everybody's talking about, the, you know, when humans and robots become one, the singularity and all that. Right. Yeah, so... There's that path that we could collectively take or we could get back to nature, which will 
help us, you know, achieve a more, um, you know, let's say a longevity minded kind of existence. Right. So like, so we'll say the Haber-Bosch process, while it has its negative effects, as you were talking about, it also helped us to increase the population and to feed more people and to like scale up. So, right. So there's like the beneficial side of it. And I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second yeah, here. I'm not sure if right. that is what allowed population to grow or if there was a bunch of other factors as well that influenced it. I'm not It'll sure. One of the factors necessarily let's say fast food chains on every corner is what allowed the population to grow or if there was other means that allowed people uh to you know have a house have a job you know i i don't know how um critical the food part is i know that when let's say the united states got founded most people were farmers um and then uh, farming became uh, monopolized and uh, industrialized. Yeah, and it's industrialized isn't even you can industrialize permaculture. You can industrialize anything. It's uh, what's happening over there is more like a total dominion over nature with uh, artificial means at all costs, which include uh the health of the farmers and the health of the consumers. Mm. So what would you say to people? Cause we recently saw like in Sri Lanka. So one of the, one of the um, counterpoints that the people who are against these things are using is this example of Sri Lanka who recently instituted organic uh, growing methods and they completely failed at it and they weren't able to feed their per- current population and then we see the mess that's going on there. Not saying that's everything to do with it. There's always um, geopolitical reasons for for that kind of problem to happen. You know, um, when there's a necessity to do it, it can happen. But when it's forced, it's a little bit different. And Mm. especially if there's lots of interests at play, like imagine... Uh, those companies that sold those chemicals to Sri Lanka, all of a sudden getting cut out of the business, they're going to make sure that there's going to be some sort of problems. And because they're connected to big pharmaceutical companies and possibly even big nations, you know, like these things are part of like the board of directors at, you know, at the hall and all that. Yeah. um, One of the most like drastic examples of where I've seen, let's say organic farming at a large scale work for a population um, is on a small island called Bougainville, mm. uh, which I don't know if you've seen the coconut revolution. Where's Bougainville? It's in Papua New Guinea around there. Okay. There was a big copper mine there and uh, the locals, the natives, uh, they noticed that it was poisoning their streams and it was, I think a private company, like a North American company uh, in control there. And then with protection of the Australian government and this, uh, this island group managed to confiscate uh, all the mining equipment and, uh, and take over 
everything and they would to keep themselves alive they would plant entire valleys and mountainsides with food um as far as the eye can see yeah uh, they didn't need any agrochemicals to do that yeah there was uh this is actually a part of permaculture i wanted to talk to you about i saw the same thing when i was in india i talked to some of the farmers there and um you know uh you were talking about genetically modified organisms before um, GMO crops and uh, they got big into buying like these GMO seeds uh, from I think since the 1950s when Norman Borlaug who was like the guy who won the Nobel Peace Prize or whatever for introducing this semi-dwarf wheat strain so that uh, Indians and Pakistanis could grow wheat in their area when because their their area was inhospitable to it for particular regions right not inhospitable to rice <laughs> not inhospitable to india, other things india that could replace it india india grew 6000 types of rice right and genetically modified <laughs> rice um just took over and it doesn't grow without the chemical soup that you're supposed to buy from these companies and spray on the plants. Right. So it's a miracle humans ha- aren't sicker than they are eating all this junk. Well, but- and now they're sold these seeds where they can like basically have to re-up on them every year. And so they're holding this, hold- this vicious holding pattern because um, they're trying to sell it to market, right? And so it just kind of, uh, kind of like completely disturbed their ecosystem and introduced something that was unnatural to their ecosystem when they didn't even they went through a tough time but they didn't need that introduced in the first place they needed just different resilient methods um introduced and not a foreign agent right you know the the problem i believe is trying to grow the wrong thing in the wrong place uh because nature will thrive pretty much anywhere on earth and based on what's thriving there um, based on observing the species that are there, you can say, oh, this and this plant in that family can also grow there. Right, or- right. This is what we saw in um, during the Soviet Union and Stalin's rule with uh, his main man of agriculture, uh, Lyshenko. And it's called Lyshenkoism, right? Where this guy tried to introduce crops that couldn't fit to the environment into the Ukraine, which caused the mass famine in the Ukraine, which killed millions of people. Um, this this whole idea, and then so these guys, they think they found a way of genetically modifying something and putting it into an environment like India and Pakistan uh, where it shouldn't be, and then it, bring it a type, To me, it's a type of warfare, and it's 100%. a warfare on um, sovereignty. It's a warfare on, you know, the most ancient thing people know is, you know, how to grow food, I mean, when do they say human culture started? You know, they, they kind of always pin it back to agriculture. Right. And, uh, it wasn't until the past like 80 years that all these chemicals and all that have been invented. And we still don't know the long-term effects, uh, but it's starting to show. Right. And that's why there's a whole movement going towards uh, food sovereignty, autonomy, uh, organic, non-GMO, you name it, you've seen it everywhere. Um, 
and I think it's for the right reasons. Maybe some people don't understand how dangerous some of these molecules are and how a lot of these contaminants end up uh, destroying, you know, the ecosystem that we depend on. To could survive. we talk? Could you could you talk a bit about that, like stuff like eutrophication and you know the the way that just scorching the earth with these fertilizers is is harmful to the nature and environment at large. Well, plants, um, you know, soil is something very interesting because uh, I've been working a lot with aquaponics, which is a type of system where you raise fish and you filter the water from the fish pond in gravel. And then gravel is planted uh, with vegetables and all kinds of other fruits, possibly. Mm -hmm. And then it returns back to the fish. And I realized that, you know, what feeds the plants isn't necessarily the soil. It's uh, most definitely uh, the microbiome around it because you can grow plants in gravel and uh, they mainly use it to hold themselves up um, the nutrients come from the water and the interactions of water with uh, biological systems. So mm -hmm. in the case of soil, that includes the fungi network, uh, the bacteria, um, even just uh, this particular bacteria that break down organic waste and turn it into compost and release heat in the practice. So all these natural phenomenon being able to take advantage of them, for example, heating up a greenhouse in a cold country using a compost pile mm -hmm. uh, instead of running a, a heater. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can get the benefit of producing compost while also heating up an area that uh, can generate food for, for a community. Yeah. Yeah. The way I always looked at it was that the, the, their inputs just lack the complexity of the natural world as it is. Like they're not able to model it like NPK, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, whatever, you know, like that's like, that's like, saying, it's like saying humans need shelter, water, food, and that's all they need. Imagine you know? <laughs> if you try to survive on multivitamins and water and exercise. I'm sure it could be done, but, um, the body is going to give out in some way or another. And usually yeah. uh, sometimes uh, the effect isn't noticeable till it's already, you know, been eaten. You yeah. know, we don't know how these uh, seeds that self terminate, um, how our bodies react to consuming these things like GMO rice. And right. I think uh, they, from what I understood, the first GMOs came on the market in the 1990s. And uh, before that, I, I think the ones I, I think it's not even that much further before that. From what I understood, the first major GMOs on the scene uh, was like between 90 and 96. Are you thinking of Monsanto? Because I think Norman Borlaug in the 50s with his thing was that was the introduction, right? Yeah, I must be thinking about the company you mentioned. Companies, yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. Which got bought by a big uh, pharmaceutical. Right. That's when they really scaled it up. That's when a company got hold of it and just scaled all over the well, place. I think uh, they were already massive to begin with. Yeah. yeah. With their pesticides. So, okay, we, we kind of did fertilizers there. Let's go into 
well, I mean, why wouldn't I need pesticides? Like there are pests. There so, are things out there. There are weeds. There are bugs. They're killing my crops, Ben. Yeah, no, let, let's get into it. So <laughs> going back to observing nature, which means an exercise of using your eyes to go look at nature and see what's going on. It's very rare that you're only going to find one plant. It's possible you're going to find a concentration of a certain plant in a certain area because it's particularly adapted to that spot. And that's the kind of observation skills that um, we try to encourage people to develop so that they can look around them and say, hey, there's wild bl blueberries growing here. Right. Uh, I guess this is a good place to grow blueberries. Uh, but then, you know, someone with a stubborn thought of what they should grow could decide to bring in, you know, some crop from the Middle East and say, this is what we're going to force nature to do over here. And in order to do so, we have to adjust the environment to make it work instead of working with the environment. Right. We'll make everything much easier for us. I mean, the earth is big enough um, to be planting specialty crops on every piece of land. Right. And permaculture accounts for all of that, right? It accounts for all these different climate zones, like deserts to forests to jungles. Permaculture is just the combination of permanent culture. So it's kind of agriculture, but it's literally how to create a permanent human culture mm -hmm. on planet Earth. And it has, you know, eight different branches of it, um, which include housing, financials. Uh, it's not only about growing food. It's right. about full autonomy in every aspect of your life. Energy. Uh, yeah. yeah. The idea is that uh, once you don't have to worry about that stuff, you can actually start developing human civilization, but not from a scarcity standpoint, but from an abundance standpoint and not from a critical, oh, the whole world is going to end, but mainly have a world that's worth giving to future de generations, you know, with tables full of food, every kind of fruit possible. Getting back to the Garden of Eden, I mean, I personally believe human awareness was developed in order to be the caretakers of the garden. And then we somehow got deceived and distracted. And instead we focus on, um, you know, I would say less meaningful distractions. Yeah. I, the way, the way I put it is we let knowledge overtake wisdom. Well, there's a lot of wisdom and knowledge in taking care of plants and yep. uh, all that. So I think uh, there's, there's still a, a path, a clear path back to the root. Um, it's like going full circle. Now that we've developed technology, we have to take a step back and develop nature and then harmonize. Because, uh, you know, I'm not against technology uh, in the least bit. We're clearly right. changing through some. <laughs> We're really using it to our advantage right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I support all that, but if we don't, um, you know, water the plant, so to say, then uh, we're just going to be left in a horrible desert. <laughs> right. I mean, there's a way we can develop technologies that work with nature rather than against it. You know, if Nate, if we taught AI permaculture, 
and mm -hmm. set it off on a rabbit hole, mm -hmm. AI itself could save the planet. And it wouldn't even necessarily take humans into consideration. It would take the whole planet into consideration. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about, I mean, this kind of, we've been dancing around it the whole time, but what, what are the, as you see them, what are the ethics of permaculture? Now I've, uh, I, I heard a great definition of ethics uh, recently, uh, which was uh, they are multiple theories of intimacy. Ethics is a theory of intimacy. So the more intimate you are with something, the more you know how to behave towards it so that you can, you know, love it and behave properly and have a, have a proper relationship to it. So going back to that rhyme that we were talking about, earth care, people care, fair share. Yeah. Caring for the earth is a skill that I believe we should be learning in kindergarten. Uh, do you remember, you might have done this in school, planting a bean in a plastic in a cup? Did you ever do yeah, that? Yeah. yeah, yeah, we did that, yeah. Everyone I know did that. Yeah. But that's the whole class we get. They don't make you grow the bean all the way to produce a stock of bean yeah. so that you know how much work it actually takes to grow a bean. You know, what? what's this? How come we only get the first bit of the lesson, but they don't bring it all the way home? Like, plant a bean take care of it, yeah. part the crop. Yeah. Yeah, they're, 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 crea they they're creating a... It's like they just get started and then that's all you all the planting you've ever done in your life. Yeah, they're, they're creating a false insight. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's crazy. So, yeah, and, and that's, again, um, the kind of war I see on um, autonomy. They want you buying at the supermarket. They don't want you cutting bananas from your backyard and trading for eggs at the local store. They don't want you doing that. Yeah. Well, this is what's great with all this new tech coming out. Like the, the, the later generations now, I think uh, you and I are both millennials. And then like uh, later generations, they're kind of realizing these people didn't leave the planet in the best of shape. We're going to have to figure out. Uh, for the coming crisis, <laughs> how we do this and how we even survive. It's like it's like survival instincts kicked into uh, deep education for something uh, and realizing what's it happening. It starts with food, surviving, because water and food. So water, there's oh. so many new technologies for even getting fresh water out of thin air. Uh, we can always evaporate water and get it to purify pretty much completely. And, um, you know, getting off grid with water is just, you know, I'm surprised more people don't do it. And uh, set, setting up a permaculture project is a great excuse to do that. Um, then there's food. And then like to grow food, you need land. And once you have land, you can even build a house. And then you don't have to worry so much about the rent mm -hmm. but uh yeah there's a lot of opportunity here and all over the world uh to find farmland at really affordable prices and start getting closer towards actual independence you know what does it mean to actually be free 
Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And I don't think we'll be free until food's free. Yeah. There's all there's also these solutions coming out for the people who feel like they need to be stuck in the city for economic opportunity or uh, yeah, well, the majority of us are already halfway into uh, becoming robots completely. And uh, I, I hold it up to them. I mean, society is advancing and it's really important, but uh, I uh, personally can't live in a city. I've tried it a few times yeah. and um, the perks are great. But once you start growing trees and you have lots of plants, uh, you don't need to deal with so many people, you know. Yeah. People are a lot more complicated to deal with than plants, you know. Try to deal with a thousand people compared to dealing with a thousand trees. If you had a thousand trees to deal with, you know, it's like the most they could tell you is like, yo, I'm thirsty or something like that. Right. Yeah, there, there's, there's something about um, working within uh, natural limits that uh, is kind of just shifts you and how you approach things, even how you approach other people, right? Absolutely. I mean, uh, we're just an extension of nature and whether we realize it or not, um, you know, we're not, we can't fall too far from the tree. Oh, good. Nice little, I, know, I like the analogy, like bringing in the fallen far from the tree. I like it. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man long story short open your eyes look at nature and try to actually understand what's happening and don't watch national geographic to do that actually go outside and look yeah for, for sure <laughs> can you give people a too long didn't read a tldr of uh, permaculture principles tldr you know tldr as the kids say the kids say TLDR. Well, you know, I'm older than you, but yet I'm, I'm hip with the kids, apparently. Uh, TLDR means too long, didn't read. So, like, I think you and I both have uh, Bill Mollison. We have to plug him on this, of course. Uh, Absolutely. Because, yeah. So Bill, Bill Mollison's, yeah. He's the one that wrote the Permaculture Designer's Manual, which is my personal Bible. Yeah. Um, it's several hundreds of pages long and it's a manual for how to live in complete abundance uh just a very intelligent design but nature itself is the ultimate expression of intelligence there's not a single niche that hasn't been covered as far as we can observe and uh you know you'd think we'd be taking better notes yeah. If I can also really quickly plug his wife, um, she offers a course, which is his recorded lectures um, on Udemy. If anybody out there wants to kind of go and do like, if, you, if you're more into the video aspect than the reading, the reading, the thing. It's highly <laughs> recommended. Yeah. I remember watching those Udemy classes um, before they were on Udemy 10 years ago. Yeah. And um, even to this day, there's bits of wisdom that I still get from Bill. And uh, I studied uh, so many hours of, of his videos that he was even showing up in my dreams and letting me taste strange fruits. And well, uh, 
You know, he is a creepy creepy old Australian man. Later (laughs) on, I bought his biography and it's called Travels and Dreams. So it's a Oh, I haven't read that. How is, what's what's that? It's more of his like um, autobiography. It's all kinds of funny, wacky stories of him all over the place. But it's like a stream of consciousness. Like it's it's a real trip. Nice. Nice, nice. Yeah, I recommend it to everyone out there. Um, so again, I, I still need your um, too long, didn't read version of permaculture principles. I I thought I said Earth care, people care, fair share. Yeah, you, you you gave you gave me that. That's the lullaby version. Yeah, that's yeah, fun. but, but <laughs> too long, that's that's all you got to remember, man. Is like take care of the planet. You'll take care of yourself, yeah. and then there'll be enough for everybody. Yeah, fair enough. Closed loop systems. That's it. Any yeah. <laughs> anything that a system generates that's not being used is yeah. a waste. Yeah. Any source of waste is a source of contamination or pollution um, in any system. And in order to close the loop, we have to take the waste and make it a resource of another system or integrate it back into the loop. And then everything takes off. So it's not some, uh, what are those like free energy machines that go on forever? Uh, we're not talking about something like perpetual that. Perpetual motion? About, yeah, we're not talking about perpetual motion. <laughs> but we're talking about real patterns of nature. You know, yeah. the cycles of nature. We all know that uh, even the water cycle, how it evaporates, falls, gets consumed, right. you know, and then there's all kinds of other cycles, like the nitrogen cycle, um, yada, yada, yada. There's cycles everywhere. It's just a matter yeah. of uh, understanding those cycles and how they integrate. Yeah. And it's something people can dedicate their entire lives to. I mean, the complexity of nature, like you're never, for you to even get a full grasp on one singular spot of earth where one tree is pl- perhaps to be planted is probably it's near impossible it's probably i would venture to say it's impossible well so, the way you talk about it that's definitely taking everything into consideration and right. that right right it's just it's it, it's impossible to take it so it's it's one of those things that you could just spend a whole lifetime kind of going over and and figuring out and just becoming more and more intimate with um and it uh, it'll Absolutely. fulfill your life uh, what I believe it is, it's an intelligence that is observable. Um, another thing that they teach you um, in permaculture is observe the wild plants around you, the weeds that are growing in your very own garden, because they will show you what's trying to be repaired in the soil and also what will grow well in that particular area. You know, um, it's incredible how if you just don't do anything, mm-hmm. nature fixes itself. Mm-hmm. You know, it, uh, if you abandon a city, the trees will just take over the whole thing. And you wouldn't imagine that a tree could grow on a building, but their nature defies. Oh, it can. <laughs> yeah. Again, uh, you know, with a couple leaves that fell on a rooftop and a seed that dropped from a bird's poop. Boom, you got yourself a tree that over time takes over the whole building. Yeah. 
Um, 100%. 100%. Uh, quick personal anecdote, you know, the orchard I'm planting out here. Um, so all of the trees are doing fine, by the way. Planted, I planted cl close to 30. I got two more coming tomorrow. A couple of pear trees. Asian Woo! pear. Uh, but Asian pear? Asian pears coming tomorrow, two of them. Oh, but man, I'm so jealous because we cannot grow <laughs> any of that here in DR. That's so exotic. I'm going to book a flight and go eat those fruits as soon as they're ready, man. <laughs> Dude, you have to. We have our, our pear tree on property right now is already uh, it's fully ripe. Dude, I'm, I'm picking pears every day. You're shitting me. Oh, man, I wish you could send me some or freeze dry some. Yeah. So I planted these two sugar berries, right? Yeah. And one of them doing completely fine, nothing wrong, normal trajectory, rooted itself, growing taller, leaves are shining, glistening even. Uh, the other one just didn't do anything, right? And I'm looking at it, and I'm looking, and there's this, you remember the cherry trees down here that yeah. aren't sprouting any cherries? And it seems to be in the same pathway of this cherry tree. And I'm like, is there something under this certain under the soil that I can't see? It's going between like running down these certain things that didn't allow this one to thrive where it's the one planted literally 10 feet from it is like doing just fine. And so there's something. Did I what? Did you notice anything underground? No, I didn't. I mean, I didn't investigate it that deeply. I just, I, I kept in the same pattern. I tried to baby it. I tried to make sure, you know, Maybe there's some buried treasure down there. That would be wonderful. It's probably sitting on a mountain of gold. And that's why yeah, I didn't. That's that right. thought popped into my head, actually, was, is this thing sitting on some, like, heavy metals of some sort where it's not great? Maybe that's what's also sabotaged the cherry tree. It's in this particular spot. Because all the trees that are not far from them seem to be doing just fine. And they're growing fruit, right? They're growing nicely. The leaves are beautiful. Like, everything. Um, this is one particular spot, so that did enter my head. Well, man, one day we'll find out. <laughs> well, yeah, get down here. You, know what, you might as well move that sugar berry if it's not doing well, yeah, or feed it better, yeah. give it some more mulch, mulch it up, mulch it up, mulch it up, chop and drop, mulch it up, drop, drop and mulch it. So I know we've only talked permaculture, um, but I have to ask as a kind of like a, to wrap this up, uh, what do you think we all have? We all have these like Oya logos sitting behind us. Um, what do you think of this Oya project? Well, I'm very excited that um, they're taking regenerative agriculture seriously and how they plan on implementing it into all of the projects that I've been introduced to. And uh, I believe we're going to be able to, you know, work collectively to achieve uh, the ultimate abundance of um, fresh ingredients <clears throat> that also uh, regenerate the landscape. So, you know, doing good to the earth around them, uh, to ourselves and to whoever gets involved with the project. Yeah. I mean, yeah, part of it's the educational side, right? Like teaching people these principles. Permaculture is becoming slightly more and more popular, but it's still not mainstream. What I, what I mean necessarily is you might not know much about it, 
but just the fact that you'd be served food grown organically and uh, a very high diversity of ingredients. Um, Nutrient rich. We'll just create a new experience that um, I think will cause a chain of events where it might trigger enough interest to find out how the food was produced, uh, how it's been processed. Um, You know, there's already a lot of interest in that field. It's another story to be able to offer people um, firsthand experience with it. Yeah. I think like even at the more shallow level of just how it tastes, right? Oh, we got a delicious star fruit over here. Gorgeous. Oh, I'm jealous right now. Um, my parents' backyard. Nice. So- Very nice. Mm. All right, man. Yo, we need you down here. I know. I need to come down. I totally agree with you. You don't understand. I know. You're going to have a private creek you could chill at all day. Well, when you put it that way. (laughs) Unless there's a retreat. (laughs) No, man. I'm I'm also missing travel, so I totally feel you. Got to come down to DRC, the oil location down there. We can mm-hmm. sit around in the pool, run around the jungle, you know. That pool is so nice. It's a salt pool. Yeah. And the other day was the most refreshing thing in the world. I went there around 2 p.m. and just chilled in the pool, overlooking that beautiful valley. It's uh, it's wild, man. Nice. Mm-hmm. All right, brother. It's well, going to get better. Yeah, it, I, it, it will. I mean, these things just keep on chugging along and... We're going to keep growing stuff. And hey. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the invite. And um, oh, sure, we'll have you on another time. We'll take a little bit deeper dive into some parts of PERMA. Uh, maybe you can give some people some techniques in the future or something like that. Sounds good. We'll film it. Awesome. Sweet, Dave. Yeah, man. Talk soon. See ya. <laughs>